and welcome to my story, his story, our journey. This is Miss Mary here, just thanking everybody for tuning in today. And I hope you're as excited as I am for this new journey that we're going to take today. And just remember, we serve a risen Savior. As we come upon the Easter time of year, uh, we need to remember what it's truly about. It's not about bunnies and eggs, but it's about the wonderful truth of Jesus coming victoriously out of that grave, just like he promised he would. So I am excited to get into today's journey, which is going to be a very deep subject. So again, I want to remind you to hit the bell to remind you every time one is aired, which is usually on Tuesdays. And uh, please share with any of those family or friends that you think could use to hear some encouraging word from God. We'll see you in my part of the story. Hello, and welcome to my part of the story. Well, I'm glad that you're on this journey with me today. And as we're approaching the celebration of the death, the burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I have heavily been led to speak on a particular subject. So my question to you, has have you ever been part of a perfect plan? Like, say for instance... Has anybody ever planned you a 30th or 40th or 50th birthday party or maybe a 25th wedding anniversary and everyone was secretive about everything that they were doing and uh, they decided that they was going to totally surprise you and everything went just according to plan, completely according to the plan and the party went off well and everybody was happy and And maybe if you haven't received a particular party or something like that, have you ever been involved in the planning of a a surprise party or something that was secretive that you and others were involved in that brought a smile to someone's face? Well, I know I have. I've been on both ends of that. I've given a surprise birthday party to my father-in-law, which I dearly miss who is with the Lord now for his 80th birthday party. And it was such a wonderful time. And everybody was very secretive and kept it under wraps to where he would not know anything about it. And I've also been a receiver of that on my 50th birthday. And it is just a wonderful feeling to know that people care enough that they would uh, go to such an end to make sure that your day was special. But, you know, on the other side of that, if you think of a particular plan, you know, not everything is always happy. I mean, what about, have you ever been part of something that you knew back in the day and it could have been as clear back as, you know, elementary school or middle school? or even high school where you knew that there was a plan and the plan was not a good plan. 
The plan was really to set somebody up or to see them fail. You know, I often think of different movies that um, those situations happened in, and it was always negative. It was always never a good thing. And, you know, nothing good ever came out of a secretive plan to destroy somebody. And, you know, we see that sometimes even in the work environment where one minute you can be very friendly to the person up front and act like you like them, but, you know, they kind of hold that position of authority at your job that you really would desire for yourself. And have you ever gone behind their back and spoke ill will to people, you know, where they're working, where you're working at or where they're working at to try to cause people to think negatively about them or possibly have been the kind of person that did it literally an ultimate plan to make sure you got that position in that job setting versus the other person that may have rightfully deserved it. So I want to read something real quick here. I came across this the other day and I I just really feel led to read this. I think this is beneficial not only for me to remember myself, but also for all of you out there that are listening. This is the psychological definition or the psychological concept of manipulation. It says here, psychological manipulation is a type of social influence that aims to change the behavior or perception of others through indirect, deceptive, or underhanded tactics. By advancing the interest of the manipulator, often at others' expense, such methods could be considered exploitative or exploitative and devious. And I always thought, man, that's a strong word, devious. But if you think about it, if you're plotting or you are behind the scenes knowing about things that are going on, that you know you should not take a part in whatsoever because it comes from a perspective of jealousy or pride or even hatred, then you would have to ask yourself one of two different questions. Are you a person that is manipulating? Or are you actually manipulated yourself? Has someone actually manipulated you into being used for destruction of others. So today's particular episode is actually entitled The Perfect Plan. And as we come upon the celebration of our Lord and Savior, we need to remember what all it was he went through and what all it was that led him. We know that ultimately our sin led him to that cross. But we're going to see some behind the scenes and examine our own hearts and our own lives and see if we see ourselves in a modern day situation of what we see happen into Jesus Christ a long time ago.
So let's take a look at the perfect plan in his part of the story. And I'll see you there. Welcome to his part of the story. Well, in my part of the story, we were talking about how we're going to be taking a journey with Jesus, and we're going to be looking at the perfect plan. And I had asked in my part of the story, had you ever been a recipient of a perfect plan? Maybe a joyful occasion like a 50th birthday party or a 10th wedding anniversary or even a celebration dinner for graduation. And we also said, what about negative plans? What about, have you ever been manipulated and an outer group of people had actually had a devious plan against you? Or maybe even in middle school or high school, uh, those that set something up that was just a trick only to humiliate you or embarrass you. And we had talked about how we could be the manipulator or possibly the one that's being manipulated. So as we enter into this journey with Jesus, we want to always compare our life. Because remember, Jesus can relate to us on any level. And so you always want to compare what's happening in your life to the scriptures. Where do I see myself? Where do I see Jesus? Did Jesus experience what I have just experienced? Has he ever been tricked? Has he ever had an evil plan against him? And is it possible that we are the ones that is setting up the plan? So the first scripture I want to look at, we get ready for a Bible drill, okay? You're going to hear my pages turning. So if you need to pause this right now and get your Bible out, please do that. These are scriptures that are so worthy of underlining and marking down uh, to where you can see the personal attacks on Jesus Christ, the personal determination that these people had to prove a point and make a mockery out of our Lord and Savior. You know, Jesus, he, he suffered a lot uh, physically, and we know that, but we forget about, you know, the mental part where they was continually trying to trip him up. So please get ready for this Bible drill because we will be turning some pages. So we're going to start off in Matthew 22 verses 15 through 22, or you can write them down and look them up later. So it says here, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. So we are jumping right in, feet first, okay? So the Pharisees were naturally the religious leaders. You're going to hear maybe if Sadducees, Pharisees, um, maybe even Sanhedrin. I can't remember if they're in here, but you got to know that the Pharisees were the religious leaders of those times. Now, these were the people that considered themselves high above others. They were the ones that ran the synagogues. They were, uh, knew the scriptures. They studied the scriptures. Uh, so to them, they believed to be a higher 
hierarchy of people that totally understood God's word more so than those around them. So you have to look at the fact that these were religious leaders that was doing this and acting this way. But it says clearly that they went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And we're speaking of Jesus Christ. So they was determined to make a plan to see if they could entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Heredians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion. Now I need you to take a breakdown look at what was just said. They were plotting a plan to entangle him in his words. Yet they started it out awful friendly. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion. <laughs> hmm. Sometimes manipulation can come in a compliment prior to the attack. You are not swayed by appearances. Tell us, then, what you think it is lawful, or what do you think? Is it lawful? Wait a minute. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? <laughs> but listen carefully. Verse 18. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Hmm. Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render unto Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Okay, so we see the event here. They had a plan. They decided they were going to execute that plan. They started it out lovingly, almost complimentary to the Lord, but quickly put him to the test. And did you notice that he was aware that they were? Because he actually says here, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? It's interesting that Jesus wasn't a bit afraid to call a hypocrite a hypocrite. And sometimes we've got to be very careful about pointing that finger at someone and implying that they are a hypocrite. Because my mother used to always say, where one finger's pointing out, three's normally pointing back. And another thing, Jesus also made the comment, or should I say, I think Paul, Apostle Paul had made the comment to take the plank out of your eye before you try to take a speck out of your brother's. So we can see here that they had a plan to trip him up, but he was Jesus, and they failed. And so let's look on to Matthew chapter 
19. Okay. Matthew 19. And we're going to look at 3 through 9. It says here. Well, we'll start at 1. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. The large crowd followed him, and he healed them there. Verse 3. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by saying, (laughs) and again, we see another test, another plan to trip him up, to make him look bad, to quote-unquote expose him to the people. It says, Have you not read that we, or no, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Oh, so now they're going to talk about divorce. They know that paying taxes was a touchy subject. They also know that divorce is a touchy subject as well as it is today. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Oh, they really think they've got him. Because it is opposite to them. We still see that today with people believing that a child of God should never be divorced under no circumstances. But that's not what the Bible says. Does God hate divorce? Yes. Did I struggle for a very long time in a very mentally abusive adultery relationship just trying my best to do what God would do, which was not to have a divorce. But yet, it turns out that I didn't know all the scripture well enough So I suffered in many years, but I still believe God released me right when he chose to release me. But they're testing him. So to get him to say they should never be but one, then they flip the coin to why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. So either against God or against Moses. Do you see the trap? Do you see how he's trying to put him between a rock and a hard spot? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So... They couldn't trap him up there, but they tried. They had a plan. Let's look at Luke. Let's go to Luke 20, 20 through 26. 
I've got my mark back to 19, so let's just do that one. I think this is another account of Caesar. If I'm yes, I'm gonna go ahead and read it, even though we did the the one before. It says here, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at the very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So I think that's why I had this undermarked, because I needed you to understand that same account. They obviously felt convicted for a particular parable that the Lord had spoke about, and they felt that he was speaking that against them. So in that tune, we're going to trap him. And then it goes on to say, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere and that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authorities and the jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. So then we're going right back into that. But did you see that little extra that Luke gave you? Luke gave you a little bit of snippet inside of the fact that prior they were convicted themselves. And they felt as if Jesus was speaking against them, which is interesting. And so because of such, They sent in spies to see if they could trap him up in his words. Have you ever felt that way? Like maybe in school or in the workplace, when that few that come over and whisper in the ears of this or that that's going on, or this is what's hidden behind the scenes. Have you ever felt like, I don't know if they're being genuine. And then you found out later that that was the girl that went back and told the other person everything that was said between you and her and half of what was being said was being led by that person to start with see we call that a busybody the bible even says not to be a busybody not to be a slanderer or a gossiper here They're called as spies, sent in spies to see. And then they end up asking him the same question. Is it lawful to pay taxes? And we know how it ended. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. Jesus is so good. He's so smart. Let's look at John 8. 3 through 11. John 8. Three through 11. And again, I've gone to verse 1. Might as well start at the top. <laughs> 1 through 11. It says... They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Notice what Jesus is doing. He's a teacher. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman (laughs) 
who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, it's commanded us to stone such a woman. So, what do you say? (laughs) It's a miracle that Jesus could get any teaching done. Those that are out there that was dying to hear him speak, dying to hear the word, dying to know the truth. It's a miracle he could get any teaching done at all with all of the deceptive plans and the trickery and the interruptions to do him in, to make him look bad. He was trying to teach. What do you say? This they said to test him. You really can't get around that. When a plan is carried out like this, it's so clear as to what is actually going on. And it says to test him, that they may have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground, And they continued to ask him. He stood up and said to them, (laughs) Now they're going to like, are you going to answer? Are you going to answer now? They wasn't going to stop. He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw that stone at her. And once more, He bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one. Beginning with the older ones. (laughs) And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, No one, Lord. And Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Notice he didn't tell her just to continue on with her lifestyle. No. He encouraged her to sin no more. But most Christians always wonder, well, where's the man at? How come they didn't drag him out there? You ever wonder what Jesus was writing in the ground? I think he was writing their sins right before their face. He might have even been writing out the name of the man that was actually with her. Maybe it was a Sanhedrin. (laughs) Maybe it was a Pharisee or a scribe. We really don't know. But what we do know is they had a plan. They had a plan to trip him up and trap him. Another well thought out plan. That failed though. Luke seven thirty nine. Luke seven thirty nine. Your fingers getting tired yet? Don't you love the sound of those pages? I do. I do use a Bible app, but I do love the sound of my pages too. Seven thirty nine.
This is an interesting one. I'm going to go back up to 36. Because it starts out, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. (laughs) Now they're being nice. Come and have a dinner. Come here and have dinner with us. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. If I'm not mistaken, I do believe this is the same woman that was caught in adultery. I would say she probably had money. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him in saw this, he said to himself, "Hmm, This man were a prophet. He would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Hmm. Well, one we see here, they don't believe he's the son of God at all (laughs) because they just professed that he might be a prophet. And then they even dismissed that. If he was a prophet, he would know who this woman was. Verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him. (laughs) It's funny because they said this amongst themselves. But it says, and Jesus answering him said. (laughs) You didn't have to wait to just get that question. Notice the other ones. They questioned him and questioned him and questioned him. This time, Jesus went ahead and volunteered what he had to say about this situation. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So now he's just a teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, in whom he canceled the largest debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning away, the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You have gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has ceased not she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven Little loves little. No matter what they do, no matter what they say, Jesus rises to the occasion every time. Are you there with him on this journey? Can you feel and sense his power and his authority? And yet they still try to keep coming up against him and come up against him. And, and it just burdens my heart. It just saddens my heart to see how they keep coming up against him. 
Let's look at Matthew 26, 3 through 5. Matthew 26, 3 through 5. It says, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the place of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with alabaster flax, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Hmm. Sound familiar? See, now they're planning to arrest him. There was a time where they planned to kill him. Then there was a plan to just arrest him. And get him out of there. And I'm going to stop right there because we're going to finish a few more scriptures in our part of the journey. Because this, once again, is like a Bible drill. And I want you to listen to each one that God laid on my heart. But kind of moving into a transition here so instead of just trying to trap him in his words instead of just trying to make a mockery of him instead of just trying to prove that he was completely wrong in everything he was doing and what he was saying we're now transitioning into let's get rid of him I'll meet you in our part of the journey Welcome back to our part of the journey. We're going to go ahead and continue on with this journey of the perfect plan. And we left off in his part of the story just about in the middle or two-thirds of the way through some of the scriptures that I wanted to cover that showed how they deviously had come up with a plan to make Jesus look as if he was not who he said he was. And they were constantly trying to trip him up in his words or make him look bad to the people. And it's important to know this as we travel into the Easter season because just as Jesus has felt our grief and our pain, sometimes I think that we don't really think about everything that he endured or the things that was said and done to him as he traveled this earth and we can sometimes even relate to that pain ourselves if it's happened to us and 
So I want to now go to uh, John 11:45 through 57. We noticed how it was getting a little bit of a stronger plan now. Before it was just to make him look bad, to make him look like he was not who he said he was, that he was a liar. Uh, and at this point now, they're planning to really come up against him, to kill him, to get rid of him, and get him out of the way to where they can be on the power position or basically you know like I said the Pharisees and those that was involved in this they always had the you know in their mind the power and the authority yet they did not understand that they did not have the power and the authority no one has the power and authority over Jesus Christ nor will they ever the only one that is even equal with him is our father in heaven when our father in heaven set this plan himself as we see as we will go on as we talk about the perfect plan we will see that ultimately God was always in control so let's go on to John chapter 11 verses 45 through 57 it says many of the Jews therefore who had come to Mary and had seen what he did believed him But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So we see instantly ones that will run off to basically, I call these people the informers. (laughs) The informers are somewhat kind of person that are busybodies that have a tendency to gather information up as much as they can. and, And, you know, and then they're quickly to run back to give information to those that will listen anybody that will stop by and listen long enough and and in this case they actually went back to the chief priests and the pharisees to give this information to and it says so the chief priest and the pharisees gathered the council now they're gathering everybody you know uh, oftentimes we see that in a local body of believers let's gather up the people let's gather up as many people as we can and it says and said what are we to do For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So now we see the real reason that they have come up against this holy man, this man of God, this man filled full of love because of their place and their nation. But one of them, Cepheus, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not the whole nation should perish. So they're willing to execute this one man. He goes, Do you not know anything? Let's get rid of him. Before the whole country perishes or the whole nation goes down let's get rid of him and then it says and not for the nation only but also to gather into one of the children of God who are scattered abroad so from that day on they made plans to put him to death so now we see it's increasing Now it's not good enough to humiliate him because one, they can't trip him up. 
because he's a man of truth. And so now they're ready to get rid of him. They want him dead. So just get him out, out of our way. So then at 54, it says, Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to the town called Erythium. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up to the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priest and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So now you are aware that the Pharisees cannot kill anybody. So now they got to figure out a way to get rid of Jesus through getting him arrested. Because it was only by Roman power and authority could one actually be crucified or put to death. So they're still scheming. They're still trying to figure out how to get rid of this holy man. How to get rid of this Messiah. We need him out and gone. So let's go ahead and look over in chapter 12. There is more to be found in verse 17 and 19, 17 through 19. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said one to another, you see that you are gaining nothing Look, the world has gone after him. The world has gone after him. Now, I always like this particular scripture because we can see here that the Pharisees saw a group of people and they looked at this group of people and they called them the world. Now, we know that the Pharisees was not speaking of the world as in a whole, because they're part of the world. But yet they use the translation in the word choice that the ones that followed him, that seeked after him, that continued to go with him, they called them the world. The world has gone after him. So see, they see and they know they're losing their power. They're losing their power. Look at the people. Look at the world that follows after him. Let's go to chapter 7. And I only have a few more. Only a few more on this. Chapter 7. Verse 14. Through 20. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching the Jews, therefore marveling, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, 
but his who sent me. If anyone will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? (laughs) Interesting. See, because Jesus proved who he was right there. He told him, My learning don't come from you. My learning comes from God through the Holy Spirit. He said, those that seek glorification for themselves and believe themselves to be up on a higher pedestal as if they're in control of things that they have no really authority or power to be in control of. He said, no, you seek your own glory. But me, he said, he seeks the glory of God from the one who sent him. And then he added to it. Has not Moses given you the law? Because he he was about grace and mercy. And they didn't like it. So he decided to go ahead and confront them on who they kept insinuating that they were following, which was Moses and the law. That they were true to it. They They were absolutely perfect in all of what they do. But yet he says, Yet none of you keeps the law. Because then he turned around and proved it to him when he said, Why do you seek to kill me? (laughs) That's hate. He also says, Thou shalt not kill. But see, what people forget is Jesus at one point also addressed the crowd by saying, You have heard from them of times of old. Thou shalt not kill. But I tell you, if you say Raka, which is I hate, your brother, then you have killed already in your heart. So he has now proved to them that the very law of Moses that you are ready to string me up for because I speak of grace and mercy. He says, you don't even keep it. Why do you seek to kill me? Why? And the only answer that they could even come back with was, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? He knew the truth. He knew what was coming. Yet they didn't get it. They didn't quite get that exactly where they thought they had the perfect plan. God the Father had an even more perfect plan. Well, let's go on over. Chapter 19. We're going to start at verse 1. Interesting character here. Now they've got him. Now they've arrested him. Judas and even his little plan to make money 
and to betray him has already happened. And we're going to move on to another interesting character that we see here, Pilate. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So it's interesting that now he's before Rome. Pilate was a Roman soldier. He had all authority to either set him free or to kill him. So he could have been a friend. He could have been a person that, you know, hey, I'm just going to ride the fence here. I'm not really for you, but I'm not really against you. I'm just going to sit back and watch this all play out. And however it plays out, then I hope that somehow I still come out on the better end of this myself. So you got Pilate saying he found no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. So is he a good guy? Hmm. I don't know. Because again, I say that he had the power to make a difference. But he just chose to ride the fence. He didn't really want to do it, but he didn't care if it happened. Hmm. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, we ought to... He ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Ah, So we see here that Pilate was fully aware that there was something that rested on him. He had the power. He had the authority. He had at least a good, strong voice that could stand up and do something on Jesus' behalf. But Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had not been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. (laughs) So one, he didn't speak for a while, but then when he spoke, he said, are you kidding me? (laughs) That's layman's terms. You have no power or authority over me. And he did not because he was the son of God, the very Messiah that came to save us from our sin. He said, but the one that turned turned me over to you has the greater sin. 
But notice what he said, the greater sin. Pilate, don't think you're sin free. Don't think you're going to escape this. You can actually go a little further in the scripture and say, I wash my hands of this, which is what Pilate did. I washed this man. This man's blood is on your hands. No, no, Pilate. No, no. You can sit off from a distance and pretend that you were never involved, but just because you decided to ride the fence does not make you guiltless. Just because you decided to stay in the shadows doesn't make you guiltless. You had the power, you had the authority, you had the ability to do something, but yet you chose not. Well, we know what ultimately happened. They did take him to that cross on Calvary. They did take his life in their eyes. Because see, that's where the perfect plan in their mind, the devious plan, the plan to make a mockery of a holy man. This is where it took on a different pathway. Because the truth is, is it was their devious plan that fulfilled God's perfect plan. Let's go over to Matthew 16 for a minute. And then we're almost done. Bear with me just a little bit longer. Matthew 16, 21 through 26. Twenty-one says, From the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and scribes, and be killed on the third day, be raised. Did you hear that? Jesus had been preparing his disciples for the very thing that these devious Wicked people thought they had some kind of power and control over. Our Lord had already spoken what he knew would happen. He already knew. Because him and his father had the perfect plan. And those that were devious manipulative had no idea that they had been manipulated into doing exactly what Jesus needed to do to take him to the cross to pay for our sin but it goes on a little further to say and I like this part it says and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
And I will tell you why I like that. And it is a reminder to me that when you have somebody you care dearly for, and, you know, Peter loved Jesus. And in his heart, he thought he was doing the right thing. In his heart, he thought, no, this can't happen. Can't happen. It doesn't make sense. It should not be. But what Peter didn't know either is God had a perfect plan. And that plan had to be fulfilled. Jesus had to go to that cross. So Jesus reminded Peter, Peter, trust, have faith. You you got your mind and your eyes thinking like the world. Just like they believed they had some kind of power and authority and some master manipulative plan to destroy me. No, Peter, my father is directing this plan. My father is putting me as I free willy go to that cross for you. Peter, you think like a man. Poor Peter, he just loved him. That was it. He didn't want him to go. He couldn't see the whole picture. Even though Jesus had been warning him and telling him all along. In the very last scripture, I bet you know where I may be going. That it all comes down to John 3.16. God had that perfect plan and this is the reason that he set that perfect plan in motion for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life 17 for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him 18 or 18 whosoever believes in him is not condemned but whosoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God that was his perfect plan he went to Calvary he was crucified there died there mocked there and he finished his father's perfect plan in his timing, on his schedule, in his way. The moment he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What a powerful words that still ring true today. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he said, and into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit to the Father. And yes, we can only praise God that just like he said, there was an end to that perfect plan, a victory in that battle. 
And that was when he rose three days later from the tomb, giving us the power to have victory over death, victory over sin, victory knowing that one day we will again see him. Well, I hope you enjoyed this journey. I know it seemed like a little bit of a different one for Easter, but it rings true to me in many ways. Let's remember that while we go about our lives believing in our hearts and on our minds that we ultimately think we are in control of things, we need to totally be honest with ourselves. No, we're not. God is sovereign. God is in control of all things at all times. And we would be good to remember that. I pray that all of you have a wonderful Easter. And uh, I will be celebrating with you in my heart with the resurrection celebration on Sunday. And I will be taking a short break the following Tuesday due to some court hearings and some things that we need to take care of. And I will see you back in two weeks on Tuesday. And I will be back here on my story, his story, and our journey. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that even in the wickedest schemes, even in the times that the world seems to think they have control of all things and they believe that they're leading it in a certain direction and they they feel that they know better than you, whether it be of their country, whether it be inside of our churches. Father God, I just ask that you would just show yourself, show yourself, Father God. We know that you are there. We know that you are in complete and total control of all things. And I have prayed for so long, Father, and you know that I have prayed that what is hidden in the dark should be revealed in the light. And you have just laid that on my heart in such a mighty, powerful way lately. And I've prayed it over our country. I've prayed it over uh, our families. I've prayed it over our church family. I've prayed it over my children specifically. And God, I still continue to pray that I know that you are on the move. You are revealing things that are hidden deep in our country and in our nation and in our churches and in our home right underneath our noses. And Father God, continue to revive us. Separate the sheep from the wolves. Lord, do your work. Do the work that you need to do before you come back. I thank you. I trust you. And I'm so thankful that you kept that promise and you rose victoriously from that grave. And we celebrate you and we praise you for what you have done for us. Thank you so much that you and the Father had the exact perfect plan. And nobody, nobody could steer that plan in a different direction. You accomplished what needed to be done on Calvary because you loved us. You chose to give yourself for us. You made the way. You had the perfect plan. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I will see you in two weeks on My Story, His Story, or My Story, His Story, Our Journey.